though, Michael. I feel like you've been cheating on me, doing podcasts <laughs> with other people, just, you know, making oh, executive yeah. decisions. I did that. Well, mate, you're a very busy man. How's your new job going? Oh, it's an interesting uh, journey, isn't it, really? Like, I think week six, um, I think. Yep. And uh, I have been applying my networking skills, Luke, mm. internally at government, really. Uh, I think that my job's a coordinating role and, uh, um, and trying to make government easier to navigate for the sector, really, yep. with eight to ten government departments impacting how, uh, you know, businesses in the going out economy work. So for me, I've been trying to get around and it's it's huge. I think New South Wales government employs 400,000 people. Um, so uh, I have, um, you know, I think I'm at 0.0001% of networking, but there's some ways to go. But yeah, it's been, um, a real, yeah, like it's, it's good. I think that there's a real... Um, a- ambition and an intention. Uh, yeah. To, and obviously the pandemic's um, focused everyone's mind on the importance of going out and uh, hopefully, and good things are happening, but, you know, try to improve the uh, delivery rate, the execution rate and, yeah. and, and make things happen better and quicker. Yeah, right. That sounds good. Mm. Uh, so today uh, we have... We seem to be getting people on that we've been hunting down for quite some time. Well, it's a part um, of a, a long-term strategy, isn't it, really? It is. So Frank Roberts is the Group General Manager of Maryvale. Um, I guess from our perspective, we've, we've been lucky enough to form a very strong partnership with, with their business over the last sort of nine months. And um, Frank, uh, you know, has someone been someone we've been interacting with, with I guess, um, on and off the last couple of years. And just... I've heard through many people who have had the pleasure of working with him um, that he's just a great guy, a great leader. Um, and obviously, Maryvale as an entity is, is uh, a business that most people in the industry look look to um, as an inspiration and uh, as uh, you know, leaders within the sector very, very clearly. So that's not only domestic, but that's internationally as well. So um, a lot to talk about with him personally, but also the Maryvale story and what they've got planned because the um, Melbourne exposure or, or um, Melbourne uh, openings is, uh, you know, very widely discussed uh, at the moment. Everyone's pretty excited about that. So I'm very much looking forward to having him on. As am I. He's uh, a person that I've never heard a bad word said about by anyone in the industry. No. Um, maybe I just haven't spoken to everyone. <laughs> but, uh, no, no, I think you're but, pretty uh, safe, uh, safe with that comment. So uh, let's get him on and have a chat. Wonderful. So, yeah, thanks for joining us, Frank. Um, we might just start off if you could introduce yourself um, and give us a bit of exposure to what you do in your current role. That would be helpful. Sure. Um, well, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm Frank Roberts. I'm uh, Group General Manager at Maryvale. I've got the, uh, I've got the, the dream job of um, running all the food and beverage for the group. Yep. So, um, I, Work ju- with very close with Justin and our senior team around um, steering where we go as an organisation from an F and B point of view, and I also have oversight into um, most of our operations as well. Right. Uh, how did you end up where you are today? Um, so I've been at Maryvale for eighteen years. Yeah, right. Um, and I ended up there by accident, which was um, which was good. I have a sort of prior history in the restaurant side of the business. I, I worked with most of the top chefs in Sydney for about 10 years. And at the time I was running Peter Doyle's restaurant, uh, Celsius, 
and he had an opportunity to join Maryvale and take over Est Restaurant, and I was about to embark on a um, on a commerce degree a little bit a uh, little bit later in life. And he rang me up and said, "Look, I really need you to come and do this with me. We've got to turn this restaurant around and join these crazy Hemis people." So <laughs> yeah. I said, "Fine, I'll, I'll go." And I, I, I honestly thought I would be there six months. To be honest with you, from the outside looking in, I didn't know if it was uh, a right fit for me. Yeah, I didn't think I was cool enough. And um, <laughs> And anyway, so we started at Est in 2003 and I absolutely loved it. And from there, I um, I progressed to be a venue manager at Lotus and then back to Est. And then I uh, got promoted into a group role when we opened Ivy, um, overseeing the restaurant side of the business. And then, you know, it's sort of evolved from there. What did it, so when you first joined the business, what did it look like in terms of sort of size and scale and number of venues? Uh, much smaller. Um, establishment was the was the big the big big offering, and then there were half a dozen pubs in the city, um, and it was probably I think about three or four hundred staff. I remember HQ back in those days was at the top of CBD Hotel, and I think we had one person in HR, one person in payroll, uh, Kerry, who's still there now, running administration, and a tech team of two. Um, and it was it was a it was a really smartly run family business, which mm. was really fun. Um, Justin was, I think, 30 when I started. And, you know, the whole organisation was sub-30 and it was very much built on um, having a great time and yeah. um, it was very, very bar and nightclub focused at the time and the festivals were a key part of the business. And, yeah, it, it, I, I joined when restaurants um, were... We were just working it out, I guess, at Maryvale. We, we probably hadn't really hit our stride just at that point, and mm. yeah, and and that was that was what it was like. And what? And okay, then contrast that to now. How many people would you have in head office? Uh about a hundred and twenty. In just in head office. Just in head office, yeah. yeah. And uh, <laughs> at peak trade, normally would be you know three thousand staff across all the venues, um, and we're now in twenty two. Um, venues and about 70, 75 different outlets across the group. So it's, it's, it's a very, very, very different size business. Mm. Very, very different size business and, and much more diverse too now. So there's, you know, we're in different areas and locations and we've got a really clear sort of pub identity. We've got um, just reopened a fantastic super club in Ivy, thank God. <laughs> um, but we've got a, a strong events business, very core business of restaurants and, um, yeah, it's this sort of it's it's, it's a lot, lot lot more spread in terms of the offering, not so CBD focused. The um, what was that journey like in terms of getting it from, you know, I guess how many however many venues you had at the beginning when you first started, um, to taking it to where it is now? Like, the, the, what were some of the biggest challenges that you've had to to go through? Um, I think the the early couple of years when I was a venue manager were were so exciting mm. because. It was an opportunity to go into um, into these operations and really have a crack at making them as good as you possibly could. And I probably hadn't had that um, opportunity before. Yeah. I was working for people who, you know, were quite established in how they did things and were running very good restaurants. And then to go into places like Lotus and Est and pretty much be a blank canvas and go for it was incredibly encouraging and mm. exciting. And I think it... It um, certainly gave me a lot of self-belief around how good 
you could try to make things quite quickly yep. if you if you had the right focus. Opening Ivy was exhausting. It was really hard. It 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 it, it went on for about um, eighteen months, opening one department at a time, mm. and you know it wasn't perfect. To be honest with you, it was it was re- it was really hard. We were thinking on our feet. We were you know really quite stretched in how we did it, mm. um, but. By the time it all got opened, we were just in time for the GFC. Yeah. So it was a crisis and everyone banded together and absolutely nailed it. And it was it was really, really, really satisfying, encouraging to get through that, yeah. you know, tough time and get on the other side and be a serious player and in a strong position and be quite proud of how the business is operating. And it set us up for, for, for the next 10 years. We had Cathy Savile on, I think, at the time, and that GFC coincided, I think, with – we talked about innovation at that time because, you know, pandemic similarly, like, what happens, strong players can innovate, adapt, and tend to emerge on the other side of these events uh, in a stronger position. Uh, was that your experience then, and is it your experience now coming through the pandemic? Yes. And this time uh, we're a bit more aggressive. So um, when – the pandemic started to roll and we could see what was coming, we ran out the problem. So we didn't go, oh, God, we'll just wait for this to go away. And yeah. was that just the experience of the GFC? Like, maybe Absolutely. That, yeah. Absolutely. When I could see it was on the draw, I said, I'm not going to worry about, you know, how are we going to manage this? I've got to, how are we absolutely going to grow out of this and go for it? And, um, you know, the, the first problem to solve was how do we keep as many people employed as we possibly can? Mm. We're never going to make a million dollars with some of the things that we did in that, in that period. But we had to start thinking about what happens if we're shut for a year? What are we going to do? How, how are we going to keep these people engaged? How are we going to keep communicating? How are we going to, you know, successfully engage the government so that we're partnering with them to do this well? So I think that, that, that innovation came from that, but really it was a determination to absolutely go through it. And one of our personal markers was, Every time a restriction lifted, we had to be we had to be ready on day one. We had to be ready to go. There was no waiting and seeing, you know, opening Mr. Wong for 10 covers. People used to go, you're just crazy. Why would you do that? So well, we worked a way to do 100 covers with 10 seats. Mm. And just that constant push, um, I think, and kept people really engaged. And that was, that was the key point because not only you kept your team engaged, but you also kept your customers engaged so that when it did, come time to reopen and get things back to normal a little bit, you're in that zone. Mm. Um, and trying to be realistic but not be filled with fear and anxiety, mm. belief that it's going to be all right, we're going to mm. get there. On the innovation thing and taking it back to uh, the early days of you joining, you mentioned at the time Maryvale had a uh, festivals business. Uh, is coming out of the pandemic now, uh, in situation where CBD discussions and about getting people in a festival, something that Maryvale's thinking about again. Justin's thinking about it. <laughs> um, Justin, some, might, some might say I was leading the witness there. <laughs> <laughs> Justin's thinking about it, but yeah, I mean, I, I, he's very passionate about entertainment and doing world class activity. So, you know, if, if if we can put the right things together, I'm sure I'm sure it'll be on the table again in mm. the future. Um, it is, you know, it's a very very time consuming huge commitment, long-term planning. So you've got to be in a space that you can do that. You can't be um, trying to do everything at once that, that the cracks will appear. But, yeah, I know that he's um, definitely considering it. He, um, that approach, I think, and I'm going to potentially draw a long bow and not 
uh, explained this very well, but the approach to go hard in the pandemic, I think, uh, well, kind of, um, it's it's got to be founded in a in an approach that would, you know, I guess, compel you to go hard in all situations. And I think most um, people, when they look at your portfolio and your businesses, there's a clear um, intention to do things. Um, you know, um, to the best possible standard that you can, whether it's in design or product or service. Where, where does that come from? Like, how is that? Oh, look, it, it, it comes from the family. Right. So they, we, we're a fam, we're working for a family business and they are in it every day. Um, I, was, I was on holidays in Tasmania a couple of weeks ago and Mary Vale called me up um, to say, to tell me about her experience at Ms. G's and how much she enjoyed it, but be able to really clearly explain to me all the things we could have done better. Right, and for a lady who's in her nineties, who is still so engaged in the business every day, I think it it, it starts there. And wow. there's no question, really, in Maryvale about uh, who the final decision maker is. Yeah, it's the family, and our uh, we don't have to, you know, worry about a board or shareholders or you know overly complicated layers of management. You know, we can get things done very quickly, and we can go for it. But that expectation around doing things as well as you possibly can and that expectation around taking calculated risks and that that's encouraged and that uh, commitment to doing things properly mm. and quality, they're really like they're deep in the organisation. And, it, you know, this family business has been going for 50 years in hospitality. Yeah. Um, people forget that, but their, their first hospitality operation was 50 years ago. So right. these things are quite deeply ingrained and I think, you know, when you've been here as long as I have, you're encouraged to live those things. And, and just from a purely from a, some of a management or a communication or a leadership perspective, how, how do you actually drive that internally? Is it is it just um, is it from, just from leadership just constantly – sort of pushing or is it not pushing, but, you know, like just expecting or yeah, is it? Yeah, it, it, it's, it's hard. It's right. hard to, to, to do this well all of the time. I think, um, I think we do set a very high expectation of our team and we do constantly strive for improvement, um, but keeping the focus on what's really important so in our business, it's the customer mm-hmm. and the team and not getting um, going down too many rabbit holes around overemphasis on cost or losing sight of the customer or the product we're actually doing yep. or, um, you know, losing the really positive things about the culture and the organisation. It's a, it's, a, it's, a de- it's a delicate balance. Mm. So I wouldn't say we've got it perfect, Um I do think we uh, encourage people to give it a go, take mm. a risk, go for it. I think that really high level of ownership that's expected in Maryvale is one of the best things, but it's not for everybody. That's what the thing that I fell in love with. So I, right. jo- I joined, I went, oh, my God, these people are letting me run this business like it's my own, so I'm going to go for it. Some people are like, oh, actually, that's not quite for me. I, 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 I prefer to be, you know, told what to do and stick to a plan and this is how it works. So... Managing all of those things isn't straightforward. I, I don't have a simple, clear answer about how we do it, but I think the summary I would be would be high level of expectation, high level of accountability, um, trusting people, and uh, encouraging people to take risks. Yeah, right.
Can I ask some questions about talent? Yep. Just generally, in and one of the and with Luke here as well, and we've been at conferences and the discussion on skill shortage. Right, this is the and uh, the nature. And I recall when uh, Ivy opened, or sorry, I guess it was pre-opening uh, a video, and it was quite, I think, ahead of its time, maybe in terms of uh, encouraging of what I can recall, encouraging people to come and have fun at work is why, you know, yep. nostalgic and create a bit of discussion in the market about uh, the tactic and, and, uh, and, and the messaging. But, but um, the thing that struck me about it is that, and we were at a heist Luke and I recently, the hotel um, conference and, and every panel, right. It was just skills, skills, skills. And I was sitting there uh, thinking about how, and, and I understand uh, international labour and casuals and all they, these discussions and the advocacy work and lobbying, but the bit that occurred to me was I wondered how well the sector, the wider sector, message around careers in hospitality because it's quite a fragmented uh, community of people with different pathways in. And, and I was thinking about, you know, the classic example of the Defence Force advertising I know what it's like if it was to, I was to join the Army Reserve because it's told to me and it's portrayed and it's reminded. But but uh, do you think that um, the sector does a good job of uh, portraying the potential of careers in hospitality? First question. And then um, if not, can we dust off the video from 2006 or 2007 and, 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 and talk about how the hotel and accommodation sector and the hospitality sector talk about careers in hospitality? So I think first part of the question, I think the industry, we can do a better job, definitely. Uh, second part of the question, let's dust off the video. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's got a few more wrinkles and put on a few kilos since then, but we've got some equally gorgeous people now still as well. Um, point three, yeah, we're, I think where the opportunity lies is to be able to clearly explain to people that not only is this fun, you're actually having the opportunity to give other people a good time, not just yourself, and that there is actually a really good career path um, for lots of different types of people. Mm. There's not just a type. And, um, yeah, I think there's a bit of work to be done. I, I, unfortunately, I don't have the headspace, all the answers on this one, but I, I, that would be my perspective. It's something that's – I mean, I, I clearly think about this a lot. It's something that's done – very in a very decentralised, inconsistent manner because it's not like as a sector. It's not like Defence Force has got one job to do because it's kind of one entity, but everyone sort of handles it in hospitality in different ways. And I mean that's one of the reasons we started this podcast was to, you know, Justine Baker is another good example of someone who sort of started as an assistant restaurant manager ends up as a CEO of a large hospitality business. You know, similar kind of pathway to you. Um, you know, illustrating the ways that you can enter an industry like hospitality and then grow into, you know, any number of different avenues um, is not done on a wide enough sort of centralised approach, whereas an industry, you know, could come together a little bit better on that front. Definitely. Job for thought leaders like you, Luke, so we look forward to your response to that question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, How was the last 12 months? I mean, we've touched on COVID a little bit, but... um, Look, I... I think it has been hard. Um, I think we've been incredibly fortunate and we're very, very grateful for, um, I guess, how lucky we've been in mm. this country. And also, uh, I think, in particularly in this state, 
things have been well managed given the size yep. of the challenges we've had. In terms of an organisation, I think uh, maybe I'm, you know, slightly twisted, but I've really enjoyed it, to be yep. honest with you. I've enjoyed the challenge. I've enjoyed how it's brought the business together. I've enjoyed having to make some pretty big decisions really fast and to try to get it right. Um, I think the way in which we stay connected with our team through the whole process has been good. No one's perfect in this situation yep. at all, but I think we've done a really good job of keeping people informed, um, making them feel supported and safe. Um, people that are in a really tough time, we've tried to be really there for them. I think the displacement of the workforce generally has been scary, mm. you know, and that's not, not just not just Sydney or Maryvale. This is globally, you know, it, whole chunks of people's lives got uprooted and moved somewhere else and, you know, it's going to take a long time to find some normality in that space. Yep. I think the overall... That feeling of anxiety and fear, particularly in the first six months, whether it be in our team or in the um, in the in the customer base, was quite was quite worrying. Mm. Um, I didn't feel it so much, you know. I did. I didn't get that feeling, but I could see it in others, and it really was quite. It was quite worrying, you know. You saw people whose whose their their whole persona was quite rattled, and um, trying to keep them and have a smile on their face, maybe put a mask over the smile sometimes get in there and, you know, give the customers a good time and feel safe and that everything's going to be okay. It wasn't easy mm. and it's, it's probably still not over. But, yeah, they, 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 those were the hard things and that really, really hard around our um, portion of the workforce that were here as on some kind of temporary visa, had limited support, yeah. um, some of them really dying to rush home, really uncertain as to whether they could ever return back to their lives here. It was That was quite heart-wrenching, so... You know, being being amongst all of that was was hard, but as an organisation, I'm very proud of how we tackled it. I can't remember the number, but Justin was featured in an article uh, talking about the number of, I think, visa holders that you had employed at the time. Do you remember what that number was? Because it was quite substantial. I, I, oh, so I recall nearly fifteen hundred. Yeah, right. Yeah, nearly fifteen hundred. So between student um, visas, which on deeper analysis, we had no idea how many student visas we actually had. And then working holiday visas and then um, working visas. So people mm. here on the 482 or the 457s, yeah, it, was, it was nearly 1,500 people. And of them, what kind of number of had to go home? So at the time we had uh, 600 working holiday visas. Yep. So we've now got 20. So those 580 people have gone somewhere. Mm. Um, the student numbers, interestingly, have held up a lot better than than we thought, yep. and we've retained, I think it's done a very good job of retention, of people who were either stuck overseas, um, so they're on holidays and couldn't couldn't get back, or um, working visas who went home and can't get back. I think it's um, in the 30s. So, right. okay. yeah. So we, you know, half, I would say. We lost half of those people. Yeah, right. And, and we, we spoke very briefly on the street the other day, What's the recovery been like for you from a revenue perspective um, uh, into like where you are right now? Because obviously it's been fairly gradual for, for most people. And and maybe if you could, if you can, um, differentiate the sort of more suburban venues versus the CBD because I'm assuming yep. it's a pretty different story. Yeah. So I'll talk to in quarters. Yeah. So Q1, so July, we were pretty much straight out of lockdown and that first quarter was pretty grim. 
in um, in the CBD and the um, the suburban venues were all operating under one per four square meter. So yep. we traded at fifty percent down. Restaurants, interestingly, were really busy. People were just dying to get out because they had been locked up. Yeah, and they uh, I think they wanted to support the industry, which was fantastic. But you know, the restrictions meant that we were still a long way off normal. And then um, things really started to improve around Melbourne Cup. So we had a decent November and December was excellent. And then the Northern Beaches thing happened and we uh, had a really weird January. But then back into January, into February, onwards has been fantastic. And CBD, thankfully, in Sydney, um, there's a lot more numbers back. People have come back to the office. There's a real... um, yeah, there's a, there's a, a lot of positivity mm. from the customer base. The people feel a lot more relaxed. They're going out. Restrictions to one point two were a game changer. Um, we had dancing. Everything <laughs> came back f- for a night, which was amazing. Well, that for that Easter period was fantastic. And then you know we've ha- we've had a few other challenges, but we're, we're well on the path to recovery now. Um, uh, Chopkeeper was a was a lifesaver, yep. th- thankfully at the time. But you know we're still, I would say, we're still. Twenty-five percent off where we should be, and you just, is that events driven? Do you think? Well, it's a couple of things. There's the, the first thing is the staffing. So we don't have enough staff to trade all the time we'd like to. So we've had to be quite selective with trading hours. So there's there's missed opportunity on one side. Um, the other one is the events business is going to be a slow burn to recovery, but we're still at least fifty percent down from a normal year. Mm. Uh, the nighttime economy, we're ready to go. Um, Ivy is going to go absolutely bonkers. We're going to have four or five nights a week of late night economy. We see our huge responsibility to try to drive some of that CBD focus activity. Yeah, I think the demand's there. We just got to do it safely, and we've yep. got to make sure that you know, if we do have outbreaks or if there are issues, we'll be able to open and close it um, pretty seamlessly. Yeah, um, but that will make a huge difference. The suburban venues overwhelmingly have done well. Yeah. Um, they've, there's been a, there's been a lot of people obviously working from home in that area. There's been a lot of support for the local pub. Uh, where the, where the gap is with that post midnight trade, you know, mm. is, is, is where the opportunity lies. So that's not just CBD focused, you know, there's, 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 there's opportunity for, for more. And when you say you're 20% off, is that, were you referring to the CBD or 25% off? Is that just just a CBD or is that as a everywhere um, right okay. everywhere? So you're not yeah. making up. I thought you might yep. be getting that. Yeah. We've spoken in the past about data, and your I might be putting you on the spot here. You might not be able to answer it, but um, the amount of data that you would have going through your businesses from a consumer trends perspective, and obviously a year on year performance, um, either at against revenue or how people are consuming in your businesses, would be. Um, substantial to say the least. Have you been looking at that at all? And have you taken anything away from how people are spending now, given everything that's going on versus maybe this time two years ago? Like are they, is a high spend per head? Are they, is premium, premiumization a thing? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, so we, we, we do have a lot of data. We don't spend a huge amount of time diving too deeply into it, um, but that, that will come over time. At the moment, we're pretty busy with where we are right now. (laughs) But yeah, exactly what you said. You know, people are going out a little less frequently. 
when they do go out, they're making more of an occasion of it. Uh, in terms of drinking, people are definitely drinking better quality. They're drinking less volume mm. and uh, they want to try new things. Um, from a food perspective, it's quite extraordinary. I mean, people are living their holidays in restaurants. They are enjoying premium ingredient. They're going out to try new things. They are pushing themselves to, you know, to, to really um, relax and enjoy themselves and take their time. I've never seen, you know, I mean, if you told me there were corporate lunches would go till 3.30 on a Wednesday two years ago, I would have said, no, 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 lunch is hard. You know, people go, now yeah. are they going to get back to the office? It's very different, you know. There's yeah, right. People have got more, they seem to have more time, which is interesting. Um, and on the other side, so in the pubs particularly, we're seeing like a huge demand for comfort food. People want the classics done beautifully and it's, you know, the schnitzel, the burger, the pizza. <laughs> never been never been better. The know? right order as well. The schnitzel comes first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. You know, I've just got a weird obsession with schnitzel. Oh, you heard it from the man. <laughs> We've got him here. That was not that was not coincidence. Mm. So, yeah, so you don't look at it too much, but you, obviously you've got a few key takeaways. Yeah. No, we, 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 we invest enough time in it, but we just don't over overanalyze. I'm sure in time there are a lot more um, info will be extracted from all this, sort of them, but they're the key headlines. Mm. You'd think you'd be able to know what people are thinking before they do. <laughs> like you'd be able to pick out trends faster than a lot of sort of suppliers that are selling you know, selling you the product. Yeah, there's been. I mean, there's been, there's been some 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 things like that where we have in beverage. I think mm. we've def- definitely led uh, trends in some spaces, but at the moment it's it's so all over the place. I think we're just focusing on the customer at the moment and give them what they want, give them a good time. You know, make them feel relaxed and. Keep it simple. Mm. What are you seeing in non-alc? Uh, it's interesting. It is definitely growing category, um, definitely growing in restaurants, less uptake in bars. Um, so that's a, that's an interesting interesting one. We, we put a lot of focus on it actually in end of 19, going into 20. We want to have a really good non-alcoholic selection everywhere. Um, but, yeah, restaurants, definitely it's a category that's growing. In the bars... We haven't really seen it so much. Mm. And is that beer, spirits, wine, everything or? Everything. Yeah, yeah right. everything. Beer, spirits, wine, cocktails, a lot. Or mocktails, yeah, a lot. Okay. Melbourne. Yes. What's happening? Uh, well, very exciting. So um, we have, we've been talking about Melbourne and thinking about it for a very, very long time, but the right things never come up. Um, obviously... For Justin and Bettina, you know, the property is extremely important and making sure that um, it's a it's a space that they can work with and that, you know, it's right and right for the time. And two things have come up um, very close to, <laughs> close to each other and they, they tick the boxes. So one's a um, – is a sort of 1850s building in Flinders Lane. It's sort of like a mini version of establishment. Yeah. Which has currently got um, – for four tenancies, and then in the basement is an existing uh, cocktail bar called the Mill House. Um, lovely family have um, sold the venue to Justin. We'll be taking it over in six months, and then there'll be, I'd say, 12 months of development. So very, very exciting. It's an honour to have such a space and an opportunity to um, join the amazing hospitality in Melbourne. Do you know what you're doing there yet? No. No, no, okay. no. We've got some ideas, but... No, we're, we're, we're a little way off at the mm. moment. So 
Um, I, I'd assume it'll be a late 2022 opening. Right. Um, okay. And the Lawn Hotel, which uh, Justin has purchased from the Upham family, um, is a property he just couldn't say no to. It's a pretty we were, special place. It's a pretty special place. We, we got to look at it on the most glorious summer's day you could ever imagine. Yep. And, um, yeah, magical. And that father and son, um, Paul and John Upham, who've run it for 20 years and have owned it for 11, were just the most amazing Aussie blokes who were pretty keen only to sell it to Maryvale. And, um, yeah, it was just a magnificent experience, actually, watching the torch get handed, I suppose. Um, so, again, it's going to be quite a long settlement period um, because the licence transfer process in Victoria is quite different yep. and there's quite a bit of hoops to jump through. But I anticipate we'll take over the venue into this year mm-hmm. and be ready for a very big, busy summer and learn learn about lawn and um, <laughs> learn about regional um, hotels. It's pretty going pretty nuts down there. Yeah, it's been trading extremely well. Mm. Yeah, and do you know what your plans are there? Uh, at the moment, really, it's to take over the venue and learn how to operate and learn about the local clientele and get to know all the staff and the team that are there. And we'll probably they're, they're doing some currently doing some renovations, right. which we'll inherit, um, and just probably do some minor cosmetic stuff just so we're ready for the uh, ready for the new year. And so it's been on the cards for a while. I mean, uh, it's it's been a topic of discussion, I think, in the industry for a, a long time in terms of um, if or when you would um, get out of Sydney because you're kind of running out of space here. <laughs> um, was it an easy decision? Was it like for me? Something- for me, in my role, it's very easy right. because I, lo- I love the challenge. Yeah, and I think we can um, bring something to a city that is absolutely synonymous with great hospitality and uh, an opportunity to create jobs and to bring the best of Melbourne to work with us. That will be our approach. So it's very easy for me. I'm very excited by it. I think Justin and Tina's vision around the property hasn't been so easy. You know, there's getting the right things that they can um, they can, they can can work with. It's taken some time. Mm. Um, taken some time but, yep, it's, it's all – the stars have aligned. It's very exciting. Is, is there a, um, a goal around – Growth down there? Do you think, like, or is it? Is that not really the way you look at oh, it? Oh, I think it's got it's got to be big enough that it's 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 worth it. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, if you don't have a big enough operation that it's it's actually worth putting the resource or the business against it, yeah, it doesn't make sense. So there's no there's no point opening just a small restaurant and doing something or other. Like it's got to you got to have a, a big enough footprint that you can hire the big enough team. Mm. You know, get the, get get the business to the scale that it's it makes sense. Um, but I think the, the I think the growth will be organic. Like I said here before, I think we'll get down there, and hopefully these businesses will be well received, and we'll do the best we possibly can. And then obviously things will come up, and we'll get to know the city, and we'll get to know the people, and we get to and things will just pop up as they do. The reception down there has been really positive. <laughs> it's been amazing. Yeah, amazing. Um, you know, starting with the mayor, uh, we we had it. We had um, had a mi- brief meeting with the mayor and the minister for hospitality, and they were just so welcoming and fantastic and engaging. Um, and the local operators have reached out and offered assistance and advice, their time. Um, and we've got, we've got a good core of a Melbourne clientele that come to Sydney for our offerings and a lot of support from those people. Um, but I think that the, the big one really is, 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 is it's around the people, making sure that we can create jobs in Victoria, making sure that we 
um, can bring the right people to help us bring these things to life. Yeah. And, um, and you know, do, do good things. I give time thinking about in my new role um, is the role of what I would describe as category leaders in a sector um, because <clears throat> on a business-to-business -business comparison, uh, some might take the view, uh, it, it gives you one analysis, but then the larger and uh, more prestigious or operation or capacity you have, the greater the opportunity to provide back a sector benefit. So, uh, like, it's exciting um, for me. I, like, you know, mixed feelings. I'm like, oh, you know, no, you know Sydney, well, I'm Sydney, but, and my role is for New South Wales. Um, but but I do I do recognise and... Um, and and I start thinking about the skills thing again and I think about career paths and I think about uh, Melbourne being such a, a great home for hospitality talent, um, which has produced such great results over the years. And uh, and then when you have uh, operation across two states, then people at a younger age can start in Lawn or uh, Flinders Lane and then, you know, come to Sydney for a while and go back at another point in their life. And I think it's, um, you know, wonderful to sort of see Maryvale uh, take that step. And, and I've seen, you know, with um, Australian Venue Co., another large-scale opera operator, when it comes to, to revitalisation of cities, like the uh, impact that an operator like Maryvale or Australian Venue Co. can have that has knock-on benefits for, you're talking about nighttime economy and uh, ivy and... Uh, at one level, people say, oh, that's going to be competition. But my analysis is, no, what's going to happen is it's going to bring people into the city. And then, of course, someone's going to go somewhere before, after, during, around the precinct. So um, you got any other uh, insights potentially about the, the, the sector? You're probably not thinking about it, but like the sector impact of the move? I haven't thought enough about it. I think what I heard loud and clear from the mayor in Melbourne um, was that she said, you need to bring the core training that you do very well in Sydney and bring it to Melbourne. Mm. You know, we're crying out for people to help teach our young people great hospitality. So we have an apprenticeship school in Sydney, which is in year three, um, which is led by Peter Doyle, my old boss. And the, that was the second question, are you going to bring the apprenticeship school to Melbourne? And I said, I haven't thought about that yet, <laughs> um, but I've got time to think about it. So, yeah, that, that, was, that, that, was, that, was, that was a clear um, a clear example of where they are looking for sector impact. Mm. Um, and also, you know, Melbourne CBD hasn't recovered as quickly as Sydney yeah. CBD. And I think, um, you know, Justin's ability to help um, revitalise that, that in the right time with Thomas Eddy House opening, I think that'll also be a, a key draw card, not only from a hospitality perspective, but also from a commercial property perspective. If he's willing to invest in the Melbourne CBD and he's saying, no, I absolutely think the future's there, and then that should give uh, landlords and tenants mm. um, in that CBD some comfort that, it, you know, that the turnaround will come. I think the, uh, as I said to you, similar conversation with Jackie um, Chaloner, who's opening Nomad, um, down there, she's experiencing the same thing. There, there would be, have been a 
traditionally a perception of, you know, Melbourne uh, hospitality professionals and even just Melbournians being quite parochial about a Sydney operator coming down, but it's actually genuinely been quite the opposite in every conversation I've had. I think operators are excited that because consumers are excited and, like you said, it's, gonna, it's actually just going to be good for everyone. So um, it's yeah, really good to see the reception has been so and, positive. And this is the thing that often gets overlooked and just in my experience with advocacy and coordination and the like is that uh, it's the supply chain that sits behind the frontline venues that – um, can then start uh, performing better, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And that then allows, uh, you know, all these things that we talk about, destination marketing or category, all these things are sort of, it is that cliche as everyone says it, um, you know, it lifts all boats. But, it, it, um, yeah, it is. it has been my experience that that is the, uh, the, the wider benefit that potentially will come um, from this over time, I think. Is it just going to be Melbourne, do you think? Are there any other cities on the radar? Would you go... Brizzy, I mean, a lot. Of, it, it, it oh no, sense. there's, there's, yeah, there's, there's quite a bit, quite a bit <laughs> on the radar. Okay, <laughs> quite a bit on the radar. Exactly so where we, we've spent a lot of time having a, in this year having a look around at what's what's happening in other cities and yeah, what to consider and yeah, no, I think this this is the beginning of a very big period of growth and um, it's exciting. Mm. I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> can can you talk to your strategy around? product because it's, I think historically, and I may be totally incorrect here if I'm, I may mis- be misremembering, mis- but it seemed that when you opened something, it was new, it was a new concept. And recently there's been a couple of instances where you've done, you know, a couple of toddies, for example. Um, is that going to be your strategy moving forward potentially, do you think, or is it, you, you don't it all, know? It's, it all comes down to the space. Okay. I mean, that's, it, it, you know, it all comes down to the space. And that's where I think Justin and Bettina's brilliance is, you know, is is at at, at at its forefront. So they can go into a space and go, this could really work here, you know, or we need to start from scratch and do something completely new. Let's build it from zero. And then sometimes like, no, this should really work and we could do that. So it's really about the space. And then making sure that you understand your customer base, that you get the right offering for them mm. um, in that right space. So, right. So yeah, not, there's no, uh, you know, there's no like grand strategy. We're going to roll out fifty thousand toddies, or you know, it's a that's a that's a brand that works really well. Yeah. Um, and in the right locations, I think it'll do really well. But no, it's it's every space is different, and think about it. Think about it, it's like its own little entity. I wanted to get across your um, personal leadership approach, and I'm not saying this to blow smoke at all, but having um, either worked with people in our business who had worked at Miraval previously, um, you, you have a very, very strong reputation as a being, a, I guess, a, a, a great leader that people want to work with. Um, why is that? Well, that's that's very flattering to hear. So, thank you. Um, look, I I try to keep it fun. Yep. Um, and try to keep it light when we can. Um, I think the team is at its best when we're having a good laugh, and that's that goes from the front line right through to senior management. You know, I'm, I'm a 
I'm still a 17-year-old schoolboy who's a clown <laughs> at heart and I try to keep it that way as much as I can. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing too is around um, giving people a chance. So I, I'm, I'm amused how many people are willing to take 20 or $30 million risks on buildings and things they have no idea what they're doing yet. When it comes to actually having a punt on people, they're very risk-averse, whereas I'm very much of the opinion that people can do a lot and being able to have faith and give people a shot and get people to do things they had never had any idea they could do themselves. That's a huge win for me. Mm. That's probably the thing that gets me most excited. What's um, an example of, of that? Um, I think Dan Hong's a fantastic example. Right. You know, this guy is a, he is a, he is a industry leader and, um, you know, he's an incredibly talented guy, but when I met him, well, I actually already knew him, but when I hired him 12 years ago, um, I don't think it was clear to him what he was capable of or ready to do. Yeah. Whereas for me, it was very clear. Right. So he's a really good example of someone high profile, I guess. Mm. Um, what was that journey? Was that just like giving a bit more and a bit more and a bit more and just like kind of yeah, yeah right, exactly. pushing him out of his comfort zone? Pushing out of his comfort zone, you know, giving him as much rope as you possibly can and say, go for it. I'm going to get out of your way. Like, Blow us away with brilliance. We're here to catch you if you fall over, but let's go for it. And, you know, that's an, that's an example of how I like to lead. Um, I think the other thing too is I think good leadership is about providing clarity mm. and keeping it simple and being very direct and expecting people to be very direct with you. Yeah. And um, that's not for everybody. No. But in my view, it's essential. So... Yeah, that's, and that's, what does that look like? <laughs> is that, oh, I just, I just, I just, I just no bullshit, feedback. you know, right. no bullshit. Like, I don't, I don't, want, I don't want to hear um, PR spin. I don't want to. I just want to say it how it is, hear it how it is, is be heard, listen, get on with it, um, and that's the way I like to. That's the way I like to lead. And the, uh, the final thing is around the customer experience. You know, I think it's. My most um, rewarding moments in hospitality have been with a guest and just taking it back that the customer is so important and that don't take from them for granted and don't get caught up in all the other, you know, superfluous things that you could get busy with. Take it back to that, you know. Are you making that amazing? You know, are you blowing that person away? Are you making that person's day? How do we do it better? Um, I think that's that's a good – it's a good reminder in this business as well. But that's – in simple terms, that's that's my leadership approach. If you weren't doing this job, what else would you be doing? I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm diehard, right? I've only <laughs> ever done hospitality since I was 16 years old. Um, I have. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I I I scratched my head on this about two years ago. I thought, all right, I think it might be time to start thinking about doing something different. Um, I was I was pretty tired, and I thought maybe I'd. Um, delivered everything I could have to Maryvale and it was it was time to think about doing something else. <laughs> I couldn't get there. I was like, this is too much fun. I love it. But, um, yeah, if I had to do something else, I would do breakfast radio with Kyle Sandlitz. Well, that, that, is, a, that is an interesting response. <laughs> um, yes? I was wondering whether you had any... Guidance, Luke here on uh, other questions or final five. I don't know what no, time I, Frank Frank's uh, have time budget. Another question 
but I don't know if we've sort of answered it. It was more just relating to operating at scale and I guess um, what the approach is there because that, you know, if you look at the complexity and the diversity of product but then geographic spread of sites, um, there would be businesses that I think could, you know, listeners, leaders could learn a lot from the way that you tend to approach that. But, I mean, obviously a leadership style would underpin everything that you do there. But as a group, um, how do you have to structure that to, to get across? Because when you're, it would be easier to do if you weren't delivering at the level that you are. Um, yeah. I think that the most terrifying part of my job actually is losing that magic. Yeah. You know, don't don't be the custodian of the team when you go in and go, this doesn't, this isn't what we are, this isn't who we are, how did it get here? Uh, so that, that keeps me up at night, to be perfectly honest with you. I think how um, some of the things, yeah, we talked about it before, it's finding the balance between delivering results yeah. and getting the culture as healthy as it can be and putting the customer first and getting that sort of ratio right. How do you, how do you measure that? Like, have you got... Uh, are there practices or procedures in place that can tell you quickly no. whether no where we are feedback we are an so. instinct driven business unfortunately right. and I think we've got a bit of work to do in this space um, but at the moment it's a, it's a lot about feeling mm. um, I think the look I think the other the other the other two things I'd say is one is you know we, we want to keep the heart and the backbone of it being a small business it's a family run business you know this is people's this is this is their their, their legacy they built up over generations mm. and that the people that you have that are integral to that, they, they've got to live it. I'm not saying they have to live their life at Maryvale, yep. but when they're there, they really have to live what that's all about. Yep. And I think the, the watch out for us and we've, we've, we're, th we're trying to embark upon this is make sure that your um, systematic and procedural improvement improves at the same rate as your growth. So you don't get in the spot where you grow, 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 grow and have huge growing pains, but you don't really have the systems and the procedures in the background to back it up. That's when cracks can appear. So that we're thinking about right now, how yeah. are we going to do those things even better? But the, the core values and the, and the culture and the focus on creating the magic squad is, is, is the thing that, you know, will be the challenge, you know, not diluting it, saying, oh, Used to be better. That that that's heartbreaking for me. Yeah, we've got to, we've got to make it better. And how do we improve improve every 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 month every year? I think that the fail safe to that is that you're thinking about it. I think the businesses who don't do it are the ones that aren't having that yeah. either internal uh, conversation or you know discussing it at a group level and and sort of zeroing in on it. So. Yep. Um, I'd say you're going to be all right. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> Just get the focus, we'll be right. This is a lifetime mission, vision of prison. I listen. In this journey, you're the journal, I'm the journalist. Am I So we'll start question one. What is the, your favourite book that you've read recently or a podcast that you listen to? Okay, so I, I have a confession to make. I've only ever listened to, to one podcast, mm -hmm. uh, so maybe maybe this will be a new thing for me. Um, and it was it was it was really interesting, entertaining podcast, and it was actually forwarded to me by one of my team. But it was most unusual, so I'm not sure if I'll I'll share it. I'll think about that for a second. Um, <laughs> but uh, leave us hanging. Yeah, yeah leave you hanging. But I, I've got, my my passion is um, is travel, food, cooking, 
So I have a really uh, unhealthy obsession of buying cookbooks. You're right. right. Uh, so I read Elizabeth David's French Provincial Cooking the other day, which was printed in like 1962. I was like, this is the best. So that's my nerd moment. Um, did, you, did, you, did, you, did you cook anything from it or did you just No, I just read it. <laughs> I just read it cover to cover while I was floating around Tassie. It was fantastic. And I also read a book by a guy called Johnny Apple who used to be a uh, food reviewer for the New York Times. He's long gone, but it's called Far Flung and Well Fed and it was fantastic. Um, I, read a, I read the quarterly essay by Peter Harcher the other day on uh, waking up to China's challenge. That was like riveting. So, yeah, um, that's my geeky books. Uh, the, the podcast was by a general in the American Armed Forces called mm-hmm. Stanley McChrystal. Mm-hmm. General, is he the, the marathon runner? Is uh, he uh, does really long distance? Uh, no? He might do really long He's clearly a very fit guy. Yeah. So it was, it was him and some guy from the Navy SEALs and they talked all around, um, yeah, leadership, resilience, mm. um, planning, you know, what happened when. And it was fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Yeah. Uh, so that's my one and only podcast. He's a, he's a super – I've heard another podcast with him. I'm pretty sure he's the guy that gets up and trains every morning, 5 a.m., does like that's a right. ridiculous amount of work. Eats one meal a day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 He, but, he was on a fasting podcast so I was listening to. Yeah. Really interesting guy. Uh, cool. Favourite album or artist that you are listening to right now or it could just be of all time? Uh, I'm sort of going through this weird 80s revival at the moment. I don't know what's going on, but Talking Heads – yeah, right. Yeah. Talking Heads, uh, it seems to be on repeat. Um, I'm a huge Madonna fan. Yes. I went to a concert in Spain to uh, see her in the flesh. But um, a little bit of uh, split ends, actually. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think I think it's my uh, youth is coming back to haunt me or something like that. But that's what's happening at the moment. Favourite drink? Oh, look, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a pretty broad consumer on this one. But, <laughs> but at the moment, it's Italian Reds. Right. Yeah. Juicy Italian reds, cool weather. Anything in particular? Uh, Sangiovese. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of Barbaresco and Barolo. Okay. Yep. Uh, favourite venue that is, and I, I think we can ask this question about five different times because I'd be really interested. Um, if you could pick one venue, like, I'd like to know locally who you think's doing well. Yep. And then probably, I guess, much more broad focus of any venue in the world that you'd think is outstanding. Yep. So I'm a bit of a diehard for institutions. Yep. And my sort of personal goal is when we're doing things is you want to build institutions. You know, you want to build things that are there forever mm. and they they build that soul. And I, I'm, I'm a sucker for those all over the world. And I think in Sydney what Jason, Scott, Anton, Stefan and Toby Elton have done, that's their blueprint. They will build institutions, and they are absolutely the best operators in Sydney, in my view. Right. Um, I love their venues. I think they're great guys. I think they continually push the boundary. Um, I think it's really, really cool. Uh, likewise, you know, I've got a, I've got an attachment to the guys at Fratelli Paradiso and Tim William because I, I think it's the same. Yeah. Um, they 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 they're built to last, and um, they genuinely know how to be hospitable. Mm-hmm. In the in Melbourne, the same Andrew McConnell. Everything he he touches is it, it's got that feeling and that you know you want to keep going back and you feel so comfortable there and it feels like home. Yeah, Gimlet already feels like an institution. Yeah. and it's been open for months. Yeah, 
and it's the same of the places that I keep going back to in Melbourne. It's 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 they're not always the most cutting edge, the ones that I keep going back to, but it's the ones where they are institutions. And I love places like Francois. I love all of the things that Ronnie Dastasia has done. Um, uh, yeah, the things with a bit of soul. Um, globally, look, I th- I think it's it's it sticks to the same thinking. I mean, I I always go to if I do travel, I try to go to the places that have been there forever and mm. experience them and feel them. Um, I absolutely love, love, love the culture and the, um, yeah, the culture and the general way of life in Italy. So that's, that's my, that's my go-to place. Try to go to a different region every year when the borders are open, but yeah. What's your favourite part of Italy? If you can pick one. Um, I think. I think Sicily was the most interesting. Mm. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I I I completely, you know, underestimated how much there was to see and how big it actually was. I thought, oh, that's a small island. I'll get around that in no time. But you know, I thought I loved Sicily. Um, I am falling in love with Rome. I think Rome's mm. a fascinating place. I yeah. don't understand how people don't like Rome because yeah. it is quite polarizing. It's my favorite city yeah. in the world. Not that I've been to many. That's where I will, if, you know, borders open, first international trip will be to Rome, without yeah. a doubt. Yeah. Love it. Final one. Uh, who in the industry are you most inspired by? Uh, who, you know who I'm really interested in? I, I don't know her personally, but I'm really interested. I think I'm going to go get to know her. Uh, it's Ronnie Khan. Oh, yeah. I think what she's doing is actually truly inspirational and incredibly forward thinking and, you know, like noble and interesting all the rest of it. But I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm actually genuinely inspired by that, that type of thinking. Uh, look, the people I work with every day is a really easy answer, but they do. They genuinely give me a kick up the bum and get me going, all that sort of thing. But, um, yeah, I, I, I would say it, it, Ronnie Khan's the one that I kept going back to. Right. I think there's, there's so many bits to hospitality, but that for me is quite... Quite special. Almost a recommendation to get her on the podcast, don't you think? I would suggest so. Well, mate, thank you very much. I know you're a very, very busy individual, but uh, we really appreciate the time and um, you know, we've been obviously trying to get this across the line for <laughs> a good thank, few thank years you for being there. Thank you for being persistent. Yes, I do I do like to avoid these type of things, so <laughs> right. thanks, thanks for being understanding. Well, mate, thanks for coming. Thank you. Thanks, Frank. Thank you.